0: Hey guys, normally I don't start this with all this sort of news girl attitude and everything, but just hours ago we had some pretty serious breaking news from the time we're taping this, which is Monday, June 7th. The US Department of Justice officials announced they have recovered millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin directly related to that ransomware attack from the Colonial Pipeline hack. Obviously, lately, cyber attacks have been very much at the center of attention from, yes, the colonial pipeline one to the recent hack of JBS, the meat processing giant, to smaller little attacks this weekend shutting down three news bureaus. So I thought, hey, you know what? We need to bring in somebody at the center of cybersecurity, a guy who not only has extensive knowledge of the cyber world, but also, which works perfectly for Everyone Talks to Liz, he has the most unbelievable story of determination that spans continents and startups starting, failing, beginning again. Jay Chaudhry was born in the Himalayas without running water or electricity before immigrating to the United States for university. He has started and sold You ready? Four successful companies and his most recent, Zscaler, went public in 2018. So what does it take to climb from small villager to to Silicon Valley billionaire. Let's hear it from Jay Chaudhry now. Jay, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz.
1: Liz, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Oh, I am honored, Jay, honestly, because you are such an inspiration to me personally. You know, we have to dive right in though, into the news that Bitcoin, thankfully, at least in this case, isn't so anonymous. The feds tracked down and seized what, about 63 Bitcoin, 2.3 million, you know, the price always fluctuates, but $2.3 million of the 5 million colonial paid dark side, the hacker group to unlock the pipeline operations. You've got to tell me what message does this send to the bad actors out there thinking of installing ransomware?
1: I think the message it sends is the U S government is getting serious about it. If you think about ransomware, it has been happening for quite a while but these folks are getting bolder and bolder. I think the mistake they made was they went after colonial pipeline, which means it impacts Americans, it impacts the gas price, so the country can get angry. So they probably were watching and saying, hmm, maybe we should not have gone after such a high profile attack. And then some their payments are happening more and more with Bitcoins, the world, which are harder to track. I think government stepping up, doing more things to really go after these guys is a good thing. We need to do that.
0: They haven't announced any arrests, but they must know. I mean, if they were able to seize back this money, Mm -hmm. this is a good step, is it not? But I'm just not sure it stops these people. We've seen this flurry of activity when it comes to ransoms. And some people are Mm -hmm. saying, you know what, we have to pay it. I mean, 16 Minutes just did a, a focus on a small town that you know, all they had was 8,000. The ransom, you know, holders were were asking for 60,000. I mean, this is crazy. What do you make of the, what appears to be increase in this activity?
1: You know, it's, it's simple. I would say it's simple, but it is unfortunately economics. If bad people think that they can get easy money, they'll go after it. If it becomes hard, It won't be that easy to go after it, then they'll go away. The defenses around internet security have lagged far behind and the bad guys have moved at a much faster pace. What we're seeing is the result of our defenses not being good enough. So it's not really, you can't kill or stop the bad guys unless you fix the source. You know, if I may give an example, people talk about drugs in in, in a given country, say in the U.S. We could try to stop all the drugs coming from outside countries. But if we don't do something about the consumption, the need, the demand, it keeps on coming. Mm -hmm. In, In this case, our defenses and our Internet security in enterprises or corporations is far behind than it should be. So it's an easy thing for these bad guys to come and ask for money.
0: We knew that the grid was going to be a target, but meat processing plants, to me, that, that was highly disturbing because you start to look and see, they know what makes people desperate. And that would be energy, obviously, what was uh, at the heart of the colonial pipeline. I mean, what do you worry is next in this sort of mountain they appear to be climbing?
1: Yeah, I think electrical grids and many other things. So I think the key for us as a country is to step up and say, how do we increase security of our country? I was actually happy to see that the Biden administration took some steps after a Colonial Pipeline attack. Mm -hmm. to really ask our government to step up. They sent a directive, the EO, that's asking for security to be stepped up by taking certain steps. I think those are the type of things that need to be done to stop these things. We can't just keep on chasing every hacker and trying to arrest them or cache them. The defenses need to be beefed up.
0: We'll get to your business in a minute, which, of course, is all about security in the cloud and everybody's operating in the cloud, right? I mean, these servers in the sky because it's so unbelievably convenient, but with convenience comes danger. I want to rewind the Super 8 movie camera (laughs) back to your early life. Mm -hmm. Talk about what it was like growing up in the Himalayas on a farm. I mean, this to me, here you are in Silicon Valley, one of the biggest names out there uh, with obviously a very under-the-radar profile. uh, But tell me about What started Jay Chaudhary on this
1: path? Yeah, before I get into it, I can tell you, I think of U.S. as such an amazing country. It's only in America that someone having born in a tiny farmhouse can actually do all these things. No other country offers anything like this. So looking back, right, my dad was a small scale farmer, my mom helped her, helped him. Uh, neither of them could go to school because the school was too far away. So they wanted to make sure that I get good education. So I went to my little village school. It's hard to even imagine. I mean, we sat, we had a elementary school, five classes with two rooms, and three classes sat under the trees. We got electricity after I finished my eighth grade. We got running water after I finished my tenth grade. But my parents actually encouraged me to work hard to study hard I saw them working hard so somehow I developed a lot of fascination and interest for learning and I studied everything I could so I became a very good student and I got into IITs those are some of the best schools in India for engineering and from there like many Indians they wanted to come to the U.S. for getting master's degree because U.S. had the best engineering degree programs for masters, and that took to the next to the next thing.
0: Well, will talk about that. I mean, it must have been slightly nerve wracking to leave, you know, your continent and come to the United States. I, what gave you the courage to do that?
1: You know, I had a bigger shock to go from my tiny village to my IIT in India in oh. a big city. Then actually coming from there to the U.S., the, the gap between my village and IIT was much bigger. Once I got to the IIT, there's so many students who knew about U.S. We, we knew many friends have gone there. We knew the best education can be had there. So also, I've been fairly how should I say, risk taker from early on. I did not realize that I could take risks from business because there's no entrepreneurship background in my family. They were simply farmers. But I always tried adventure and new things. So coming to America for higher education was kind of learning and adventure. So was I nervous about it? Not really. I was looking forward to a new world. And I read so much about America. I, I love the country. In my early days, first time I watched America landing on the moon in 69. So all those things fascinated me. Sure.
0: Tell me about the moment you land on terra firma in the United States. So you went to University of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to give me the sense of one of the fascinating things that you saw that you hadn't really dealt with before here in the States.
1: You know, I'll give you a couple of things. One. People were so friendly. When I landed on Saturday, I didn't realize that American universities are closed on Saturday. I walked on campus looking for office of foreign students. Everything was closed. I looked around. I found a professor. And I asked her. And I lost my luggage. because I took Greyhound bus from New York City to Cincinnati because Greyhound was a lot cheaper than taking a second flight. She took me to Dome, got me a room there. Then she took me back to the Greyhound bus station. Four hours later, where my luggage arrived on a subsequent bus. So my first experience in America was hospitality. Oh. It was wonderful. And second, you know, the, the facilities, I mean, as compared to India, the Dome, the school, the campus, everything was wonderful. The libraries, I, I loved so it, it was all great, and it was wonderful for learning. Teachers, pretty informal. You could approach them, talk to them. So I, I enjoyed every every bit of my student life.
0: And you made friends, I would imagine. But you really were able to just dive into starting companies. Let's talk about your first official startup called Secure IT. You and your wife quit your jobs put your life savings into starting this business. That has to be terrifying. Why did you decide to take this leap?
1: Yeah, you know, the inspiration came from reading about the World Wide Web getting launched. Internet was taking off. A company called Netscape launched a product called Mozilla Browser. They went public. And I started reading about it and said, wow, this young kid, who had come from UIUC, launched this company so successful, why can't I do it? So I started to read more and more about it. The more I learned, the more I fell in love with it. And then I said, I got to do a startup as well. So new idea, didn't know anything about startup world before. As I read more, I got more comfortable about it, talked to my wife. So we put a business plan together. I was in Atlanta. I went to some VCs. They all turned it down. They said, you have no startup experience. And then either we could stop or we could put our life savings on the line and realize our dream. So we chose the second part.
0: Okay, th- this is where I need to dig down a little more deeply. Mm-hmm. Most people will not take that chance. Right. And this podcast focuses on that very small percentage who do. You know, you and I have a slightly parallel uh, experience here. I grew mm-hmm. up in Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. to start my career in broadcasting, the mm-hmm. only job I could get was in Ohio. Uh-huh. Just like you going to University of Cincinnati, my first on-air market was in Columbus, Ohio. I had no friends, mm-hmm. no family, <laughs> nothing. And yep. people from my high school who were all in the movie business said, what are you right. doing? Why would you go to Ohio? But you know, here, mm-hmm. here I am, fast forward you know, international newscaster and look at you. I mean, that's the thing. What do you say about risk-taking when you talk to people who are at the start of their journey?
1: Yeah. You know, risk can be taken based on a couple of things. One, you know, if you know something, you learn, you build conviction, you you have confidence. And then the risk doesn't look like risk. It looks like an opportunity. You know, risk-taking needs to be looked at its own context. The right. way I look at it is the following. When you start learning something, you understand it, you build conviction around it, then what one person looks at risk looks like an opportunity to the other person. Right. Since I learned so much about security, I could see the opportunity to help enterprises. I really didn't look at it as a risk at all. But the second part, the risky part was, if we put our life savings on the line, we could lose all this money. So first of all, I had good confidence that hmm, it should work out. But I don't have any attachment for money. Uh, In childhood, I never saw any money. So it was one of those things, let's try it. If we lose it, we can always find a job. That was the notion where we started. In fact, I had my wife quit job, her job, too. She used to work at Bell Salt in Atlanta. Okay. The notion was, let's burn the bridges behind so there's no turning back, and we only look <laughs> forward and succeed.
0: We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What was the moment where you said, wait, this is actually working. We're getting customers. We're making money. In four to
1: five months, pretty quickly. So I hired a small team and we started and going to talking to companies to show them the problems they have of internet security and how we could solve them. And there was nobody else talking about a solution and understanding like us. So we started to get pretty good sized deals pretty quickly. So yeah, within six months, it felt very comfortable that it will be pretty successful. We did $5 million in year one revenues with, 20, with 20% pre-tax profits, a $1 million in profits. So it was fascinating. It felt too good to be true. It felt like a dream. But it
0: wasn't too good to be true. I mean, you had worked it. You had really dived right in. And at the time, can you give me the year of this? Because I can imagine things have gotten a lot more challenging in the you know, cybersecurity world and all of the... Different iterations that these bad actors morph yep. into. It's they just yep. keep changing. They're like a virus.
1: Yes. So Secure It or Secure IT was started in January of ninety-seven, early on. It was just taking off.
0: You're the king now of building successful companies. Obviously, Secure IT was one of the big ones in the beginning, but then you launched Air Defense, which was acquired by Motorola Cypher mm-hmm. Trust. Yep. acquired by secure computing and then core harbor acquired by verizon but um and then you know not to mention that secure it was acquired mm-hmm. by verisign mm-hmm. there were some huge names here were there any company offers that you just said no i'm not going to sell
1: yes even for secure it there many offers even verisign i turned them down twice before i took the offer and and i could do that again because i i really didn't kind of Run after money, I was comfortable, I was confident we are doing well. But eventually it made sense to bring the business together. But you know, there's this interesting story behind my subsequent startups. When secure IT happened so well, I said, Was it a fluke or can I really build the business systematically? Let me do it again and prove it to myself. That is part of the reason, though the other driver was. 70 or my 80 employees at Secure IT became millionaires with the stock options. It was nice. so satisfying. I mean, the most gratifying thing for me was that. And I said, if I do more companies, more people who work with me, hopefully more of them will become financially independent. Mm. That's what led me to do the next three companies. So the story was, I was looking at there saying, huh, this time. I have more money, so I can put only so much money in one company. So let me do multiple. Do it like
0: having kids.
1: You stagger them a year or two apart. So that's why I started, three companies, one or two year apart from each other. Okay.
0: Uh, this brings me to Zscaler. Right. Why was Zscaler the company you decided to take that sort of dive in and take public? Because that is a mega step.
1: It is. Once my first four companies became successful, like most startups, they got acquired, I had no desire at this stage to do one more point product startup and sell it. I want to do something big. I want to do something lasting. And I was using Salesforce and NetSuite, these two SaaS companies, in all of my startups. I like them. I saw how Salesforce was such an easy product to use and deploy. So getting inspiration from Salesforce, I said, let's build a Salesforce of cloud security. Let's do something lasting. Security is broken. So many hacks are happening out there. I'm going to build security in the cloud for the new world of cloud where people are mobile. And I want to take this company public because I want to build a lasting company that has impact on the industry.
0: Who was your first, oh wow, client for Zscaler?
1: At Zscaler, the first very large client was Nestle in Europe with wow. 160,000 employees. Okay. And, and before that, I had a number of small companies the, who was five, 10, 20,000 users, but Nestle became very big for us.
0: I can imagine. I want to know how big the day was when you took Zscaler public. What was that moment like? I mean, we've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, visionaries, and they they all have different experiences, but most of it is exhaustion and their stomach in knots, nervousness. What was it like for you?
1: You know, honestly, I, I don't get overly nervous or worried. I work hard, and then I figure out what our results will be, the results will be. We worked very hard. We had a very good team. I had about 85 of Zscaler's employees and senior leaders in New York at NASDAQ ready to celebrate the hard work all of them had put in for 10 years. It takes a while. Yeah, it took us 10 years to get public. It was great to see the stock go from $16 to close that day at $33. Wow. Wow. Uh, it is exciting. Lots and lots of families uh, were very happy and very excited.
0: Well, it's 192 uh, today, so a $26 billion market cap. May I ask, did your parents, are they still around? Do they get to see your success? Did they get to see this moment where you were up on the big NASDAQ wall?
1: They did. They're, they're very proud and happy parents, Aww. though they don't fully understand what I do.
0: I know. Parents are sometimes like that. What is it again that you do? It's incredible. Um, you know, when you, when you look at the landscape today in Silicon Valley, what do you think is missing in this country? Because a lot of people say your experience, for example, is not so easily mirrored or duplicated anymore. There's such a wealth gap and an education gap that some would argue it's a lot harder to do what you did, Jay. Do you agree with that or disagree?
1: I don't agree with that. I think America is the best land of opportunity. If you work hard and you work smart, sky is the limit. I mean, I had no special help in America. I mean, I think the biggest thing I was doing was I was working hard and smart and people were willing to help. My professors at University of Cincinnati, they helped me a lot. I think sometimes we get a sense of entitlement. We want more without working hard. So my message to folks out there is just there is no other country where you can get opportunity to start, fail, start over, raise money, do it. It happens here. And you just need to go and try and not give up. Sometimes people do startups to get rich quick. So if someone is doing a startup to do so, they're going to be disappointed. Right. Right. If you have passion for building something, you should do it because then it's not hard work. You have fun and success comes to you because you're passionate about something.
0: It is such an important message because the fruit is there for the American dream. You just have to climb the tree. And sometimes that isn't easy and you'll slip. Talk to me about the slips that you had. Was there a moment where you failed and you were concerned or worried? You don't strike me as the guy who says I might give up here, but do you remember any really difficult times? We try and share those with our listeners because it isn't all sunshine and rainbows on the climb
1: up. Yeah. yeah. No, there's so many of them. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'll tell you, I'll give you one interesting one very early on, even before starting my company. I was an engineer by training, and in my first company, they tried to take me out to show computer systems I had written for, as demos to customers. That's when I discovered that. I enjoy engaging with people, then writing code in front of a computer. That changed me to become, uh, to go in sales with IBM. So I joined IBM in sales, and they assigned GE, General Aircraft, company as my customer. I would call them, they'll hang up on me. I'll call them, they'll hang up on me. And I was really in tears and say, did I make a mistake by moving from engineering to sales? Maybe I'm not cut out for sales, but I persisted. And eventually I succeeded and it became extremely successful. But that that lesson for me was don't give up. But I, I did have passion for engaging and talking to people. So that was one good lesson I learned that if you have passion for something, you don't give up, you succeed. That is, fat. I never forget that because that was one of the things where I was very desperate. Now, in the entrepreneurship world, at Zscaler, for example, the technology we built was very good early on. Since the technology was so disruptive and a lot of companies said, huh, is it really real? Should my security be done the cloud? No, not really. So the lots and lots of them who said no, they said, go and build these security boxes for my data center, <laughs> right? Refused to do that. But for every 10 customers who said no, one customer said, huh, what you built is cool. I want to buy it.
0: Ah, uh, see, so you just need that one. And then you build upon that. So exactly. do you have another company inside you that you're just itching to build?
1: I think this is a uh, big, this is, very good. Eventually, one day after my retirement, I want to get back into kind of giving back uh-huh. full time where I have passionate for education. Without education, I would still be in that small village. Right. So I want to do a nonprofit startup where I want to make ed- the best education content available to anyone in any part of the world without Worrying about how much money do we have, but that's kind of farther away. But that's what I, my one other dream is.
0: Well, that's the thing, you know, the generosity to turn around and reach back and help people who really need it is is something that I love to see in entrepreneurs when they have really made it and they know the struggle. It's really Mm -hmm. wonderful to see them giving back. If you could go back Mm -hmm. and see. Yourself as a 10-year-old Jay Chaudhary, what would you tell that young boy in the Himalayas sitting in a very tiny classroom?
1: I would have two lessons, two things to give. One, work hard. It's a good thing. There are no shortcuts in life. Lesson number two, it's all about learning and education. Education can change the world for anyone and everyone. And don't look for excuses that says, I can't do this because I have this limitation or I have that limit. If you just go after things, you start overcoming so-called perceived limitations and you achieve what you want to achieve.
0: The one thing that surprises me about you, Jay, is all these Silicon Valley guys who become members of the Three Comma Club, they all want to buy A piece of a sports sports team, a pro team. You're not there yet. You know. I mean, there's always some hockey team out there that's struggling.
1: I'm not sure that'll ever happen.
0: Well, it's a pleasure, an honor to hear your story, and I just can't thank you enough for sharing it. I, I'm blown away. Thank you so much, Jay Tadrius z and and how prescient right to to have him as a guest when we know all of this drama is happening in the ransomware world way they as we say in french darling thank you so much for tuning in once again to everyone talks to liz and i'll see you monday through friday 3 p.m eastern final hour of trade it's the only hour that really matters guys fox business thanks so much for joining me